I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey everyone, Brian here. Today we have a very special episode for you. We're speaking with my boss, but also one of my best friends, Michael Davini. Michael's story is one that deals with complex PTSD and childhood sexual trauma. If you've experienced sexual assault, you might want to skip this episode. We usually don't put trigger warnings like this at the top of our show, but we felt that this conversation warranted one. If you're struggling with your mental health, reach out to Kids Help Phone. You can text CONNECT to 686868. Kids Help Phone also serves adults. There's a link to their chat services in our show notes. Love you guys. Hope you enjoy this one. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Mike. He's a dear friend of ours and has complex PTSD. Let's talk about it. <clears throat> All right. Well, here we are once again, uh, as we always are, every, every fucking week. And it's just always a joy. And I'm so excited for this week, because every so often we get to sit down with someone that we actually know on a personal level, and I love that because for me personally, it reminds me of the very first time that we recorded an episode for this entire podcast. So Brian and Taylor, I, you know, when we first did this, the three of us went into a room, you guys knew me really well, I knew you really well, and we sat down for an hour and we had a conversation, and we came out of that conversation... With this sense of like, of, of, we learned a lot about all, uh, each other, like all three of us, on a really deep level that we, we had never really, we had never really gone there before. And, um, oh, you fucking, you cuck. I stopped my recording. All right, okay. All right, we keep going there. Ah, I fucked up the recording there. Anyway, I was saying something really heartfelt, which was we learned a lot about each other. And now we're sitting here with our friend Michael. And, um, you know, Brian, I know that the two of you know each other quite well. And, and Taylor and, and Michael, you guys have a, a you know, a, a long history of a relationship through yoga and, and other things. And, Michael, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of on the outskirts, like slowly getting to know you. But this is why I'm so excited for this conversation, because I... I'm really, I'm really looking forward to diving into uh, your. This sounds horrible. Now I'm really looking forward to diving into your your hardcore struggles with complex PTSD. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but but I mean that in a way, uh, in a caring way. And so uh, so I want to say, Michael, thanks for taking time to sit down and shoot the shit with us today. If 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 I can just add to. Um this is a really, I'm really excited of this conversation because not only is uh, uh, Mike one of my my best friends, Mike is also my boss. And, yeah, right. Uh, and and Mike, I feel like I know you really well, and I know a lot about your story. But 
like Jer said, like it's it's conversations like these where we really dive into it and we get to know even more. But the actually the thing I wanted to say is that you're probably since we started Sick Boy five years ago, you're probably one of the first people that I've met that has really embodied um the things that we talk about on this podcast and being open and vulnerable and sharing your story. And I know that in our um, time and getting to know each other, you've been like a really big role model and mentor for me to be open and vulnerable about the things that I've been through um, so that I feel comfort in sharing them because I know that I know what it's like to be on the other side of that. So thanks for that. I appreciate that. Chris, you know that I can't express emotions, so that's that's a safe move. <laughs> and Jeremy, uh, thank you. Kind of a thank slow you, burn to get to know Jeremy, so like you're you're on the right cycle. <laughs> yeah, good. Well, good. I, I'm I'm all about that burn. It feels it, it's it's a it's a burn that feels good. You know what I mean? And those are rare bur- those are rare burns to, to yeah. feel. The burn that feels nice. Well, you know what? I will. I'll. I'll. Uh, I'll challenge you on that a little bit, Mike, and say that 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 the way that you and I got to know each other was actually was actually uh, was actually was actually really fast. Um, and and I was and kind of just piggybacking on something that Brian said there, and 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 kind of just trying to like segue into um, into getting a little bit of 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 background from you. You know, we met, um, we met a couple of you. Wow. It feels like yesterday, but I guess that would have been almost three years ago now. Yeah, I bet yeah. somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. Dude. And it was it almost five through, years ago now. No, was it really? No. It was sometimes around when we first started the podcast, wasn't it? I feel like, eh, no, I guess I can't remember yeah, three now. Or four years ago. I want to say three years ago. Maybe it was a little bit longer, <laughs> but we met through, um, I had, I had, uh, I had given an interview in a, um, in a in a um, in a publication, I can't remember what it was. It might have been for Duggar's magazine, actually, yeah. and uh, or for the Chronicle right. Herald. And I was talking about men and uh, men um, doing yoga and um, what it means, like like why why yoga can be so great for for men to do. And 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 you read that article and you reached out to me um, and you were really you were really forward, um, right, right off the bat. You know, you told me that you had had struggles with, um, depression, uh, and, uh, you were, you had read the article and you had been intrigued about what yoga could do for you. And, 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 you know, we started meeting up and, and, uh, I would teach yoga, but we'd also have these like really long conversations, um, before and after. And, and, and you were, I was, I was really impressed with how how you you just came straight out and 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 were really open about um, about some of the things that you were going through and some of your struggles and and how you wanted um, yoga to help you um, and uh, and and I I thought that that was like that that was really um, um, you know really forthcoming. We didn't know each other at all. You you had you had seen this through an article and and reached out. So um, why don't you why don't you Tell us, like, where, where all where all of this, like, where of all all this begins with you, and um, and and about your, you know, your background and how you came to to you know this diagnosis of complex PTSD. Sure, and I, I think when I met you, um, Taylor, I was probably in the middle of just going through a series of uh, flashbacks, and uh, at that time, funny, I was thinking yesterday of someone that I had met back then and regretted how open I was. Um, you're someone I trust, mm. so um, 
I don't regret that, but there's someone else. At that time, I think I didn't have a really good filter on on sharing um, because it was just, mm-hmm. I had suppressed what had happened to me for years. Um, I mean, I, I'd always known it, but mm. um, intellectually suppressed it. And then something had happened that had triggered everything. And uh, I went through about two years of just really intense flashbacks. And these flashbacks are memories coming back and they come back at such an intense rate that I would actually black out. So I would feel a tingling in the back of my neck, which was saying that it was coming and then I'd be out. And only one person's ever seen it happen. Uh, My friend Jeff and um, he said, it's like I was having a seizure. Um, And I spoke to my doctor about it and um, they actually do look like seizures, although they don't have any like lasting effect on you. It's just that there's just so much tension that's released in them. And where, I mean, going back to your question, where did it all start? Um, there's such a series of events. Uh, I grew up in a family that um, sadly uh, don't, don't show emotion or affection. And it's taken me a long time to get to a point to admit that because, you know, I was raised very much that you're supposed to be a certain way. And there's always supposed to be this image of what a perfect family is. But um, both my mom and dad were removed. Um, They didn't. I was never hugged until I was uh, 45 years old. And uh, I never, ever heard uh, um, never heard I love you uh, my whole life. I didn't think it would be emotional, but uh, um, so that was the, as somebody, the background. Um, as uh, I, I just want to comment on what you're experiencing right now, Mike. I like I, I feel I don't know this like sense of like <laughs> like pride for you for for starting to feel that emotion because I know that in the conversations that we've been having a lot lately, like and something that you've been working with your therapist Brad is being able to feel emotion and to see that you're feeling that right now is as hard as it is to um, imagine what it would be like to not hear I love you and um, not be hugged until you're 45 years old. I know that feeling emotion is something that's really important to you. So to um, have you be able to connect with that um while talking to us, I mean, I know personally for you, it's something that's important to you. So, um, like if you, if you don't feel comfortable talking about anything, you don't have to, but if you want to, we're, we're here. I'm always open. I'm just surprised. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I guess it's, it's that background. Like that's what sort of set me up to be, to be fair. And I've tried to learn to, um, you know, I love my parents, but I also recognize that they let me down tremendously. Um, I was never allowed to cry. I was never allowed to get angry. wasn't allowed to to really do anything. And um, there would be no tucking in at night. There would be no um, asking how my day went, nothing like that. So I think as a kid, I... <laughs> 
like I've always struggled to find out who who the real me is, and and lately I've been kind of figuring it out through with with my therapist that I think the real me is a pretty chatty, happy kid who is like bouncy and all over the place, and that didn't fit. Um, so I think to a great extent it made them really uncomfortable, and um, and th that was their way of dealing with me. And unfortunately, it set me up for a, a pretty tough situation where. Um, I mean, I was looking for affection, and unfortunately, um, an older cousin um, uh, took advantage of that. And uh, the reason I have CPTSD rather than just PTSD is that the only difference is that the trauma comes from uh, chronic childhood abuse. So I was uh, um, molested by uh, this uh, cousin for three years and uh, in a pretty um, in torturous way um, and uh, again with with him I was not um, not able to uh, I was not allowed to cry I was not allowed to to do anything I had to sit beside him um, after sometimes for 20 minutes <clears throat> Oh, um, I learned to go up into my head. And one of the challenges with doing that is that it's been really hard to come back out of it. Um, going up into my head was my way of protecting myself and getting away from the situation. And uh, it went on for three years and uh, um, it stopped because he, he moved away. Um, I had like a year's break where um, everything stopped. And then I went to high school where I was basically tormented for six years um, by a group of guys who, again, I had huge um, guilt and shame about uh, what happened to me because I thought it was my fault. And uh, I thought everybody knew. So when I went to high school, for some reason, um, I was just picked out. And I never knew every day what was going to be done to me. Um, and it was mainly physical, like uh, verbal abuse. But at the same time, which um, it took quite a... One of my friends had a really hard time, I think, connecting to what it was like to be um, abused for so long. And I said, well, imagine this. Like, imagine you've been raped a hundred times. And no one uh, knew it, but you did. And then when you go to work at a new office, the person who did it was there. Um, so the person who abused me actually went to high school with me and never spoke to me, um, never acknowledged me. But yet I had to see him on a pretty much weekly basis. And I thought that he had told everybody, and uh, that's why. So that part was uh, was really tough. And um, again, like uh, because of the situation at home, when I when I went home, there was no one to talk to. Um, so I really just I had to handle it myself. And I told my therapist a number of times, like if if I had known like how to commit suicide when I was a kid, I would have. Um, but for some reason, I think 
you know, the, the greatest achievement I've had to date in my life is that I survived that childhood and got out of it. Um, but it left me, uh, you know, a severe anxiety, depression, uh, many times, um, a lot of the CPTSD has a lot of comorbidities to it. And it looks a bit like bipolar disorder at times that I can, I can cycle, um, not on the bike either, but I cycle up and down with emotions and go through different things that might look like, um, bipolar disorder but uh all i knew but is you do I, cycle too yeah i do i do cycle. <laughs> I actually cycle therapy there is one thing that i am curious about because we've covered ptsd on the show before and we have covered complex ptsd um and you kind of you kind of did touch on it for a moment but for for our listeners and actually for myself because i i i've tend to forget um what like what is the actual difference between um complex PTSD and, and other forms of PTSD? What, what sets it apart from, from like just regular old PTSD? PTSD, yeah. The, my understanding is the, the only difference is that the trauma is, is from chronic childhood abuse. Um, so most, oh, okay. most forms of PTSD would be from an event, event-driven trauma. Um, you were in a war, you were in an accident, you saw someone die, something like that. And there is the likelihood that you know, with, with the right treatment, you can get through it. Um, unfortunately, with, like, I've got this for life. Um, the common is that, or what everything I've read research-wise, is that when you've gone through chronic um, childhood abuse, that there is a change in your um, chemistry, that you look at things very differently, and it's really tough to, uh, to escape that. So, um, you know, it's only been the last five years that I've been actually trying to work through it. Um, so the, the, mm. the blackouts came from having suppressed all of this to a point that I could no longer function. And I started to just wow. have deeper and deeper depressions and somebody um, said something to me and acted in a way that triggered um, a memory of, of the abuser. And that's where it all just started flooding out. But I woke up in bed one night, um, covered in blood, couldn't figure out what happened, and I just got up and followed the trail of blood, and um, I would have had a blackout and fallen down and cut myself. So um, it always happens, oddly enough, at home. Um, it's almost like your mind knows where you're safe, and it'll shut you down. And I have what I call dirt naps, <laughs> which are... If I'm really feeling a lot of stress and tension from, from things, like I'll black out for possibly two hours and I'll wake up in places oh. like I don't, I don't remember going into that room, but I'll wake up there. And when I come out of it, I'm mm. like, I'll actually wake up and not be able to move and not be able to, to respond. And uh, you could hit me in the head with a frying pan and I wouldn't know. Um, and when I come out of it, I'm really foggy and groggy and it, like I'm done, like my night's over. So, um, mm. like the last five years of, you know, having suppressed it for so long was not good, <laughs> but I also question at times, like, you know, being really now I'm really open and honest about it. And one of the things back to what you said, Taylor, is that 
you know, I had done a lot of reading. I took a degree in psychology, of course, because I just had to understand it. Um, and uh, m what I found is like 20% of, of men have been abused as kids. Um, it's unlikely that more than 1% will talk about it. And I just thought maybe I'd be one of those people that will talk about it and it might help somebody else. Hmm. I just want to, uh, I want to acknowledge that when that e even though even though i i said when we first met you were very like you were you were very you were very open with me which you were i could always tell i could always tell that there was that you were give you would you would give me what you what you seemed to be ready to give and that there were details that 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 weren't there but weren't necessary weren't necessary for me to understand what you were going through. Like it, 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 like you were, you were always giving me information that, that let me know how you were and how you were doing and, and, and what you were going through. Um, and, and, and I knew, and I'll, and I'll just, I just want to thank this show, everybody who's listened to the show, every guest who's been on here before, because I wouldn't have known how to, I wouldn't have known how to, how to, create a relationship with you or I, or I would have been far less, um, uh, less able to, to develop a good relationship with you. If I hadn't, if I, if I didn't sit in the seat that I'm in now where, um, where I've had conversations with people who, who, who deal with, who deal with PTSD. And I know that, that going to a place that you're not ready to go to is not good. Mm -hmm. And there shouldn't be a push to go somewhere too quickly when you're, when you're just not there yet. And, you know, we always had conversations about, you know, where you, where you were in your therapy and how you were doing and things that you were chatting about. And, um, and I always really, really appreciated that. What, when, when this, when it, when you had this trigger and everything started and you started to have these flashbacks and then it seemed like the, you know, the floodgates sort of open, you said about five years ago and we probably met like not that long after that. Yeah. Um, what was that, what was that whole process like in terms of you, you, you know, you start having these blackouts and you start going to, and is that where therapy starts for you? Was therapy something that you had, you, that had been a part of your life before that, or does it start in that, once the, these floodgates open and, and, and if, and where, how do things sort of like develop in terms of how you start, how you start dealing with these, these traumas that are all of a sudden, you know, gushing out? Um, <laughs> a good question. So I've been to therapists for 23 years. So to date I've been to 13 different psychologists and psychiatrists. And I mean, there's some, <laughs> Uh, residual anger there that no one asked me the freaking question what was your relationship like with your mother what was your relationship like with your father until I met Brad um, Brad is my therapist now and he will be for years because I've never met anybody like him and in the very first 10 minutes I met with him I'd been going to another um, therapist who uh, had to close her sessions for some reason and I, I was really upset and I ended up just by chance going to Brad and the uh, first session I had with him he said do you mind if I ask you something and he, I said what he goes 
Do you realize you speak in the second person? I said, what do you mean? He said, if I ask you how you feel, you respond, you would feel this way. I said, not, I feel this way, you answer you. He said, that's kind of a giveaway that there's something else behind all this, that you're, you're somewhere in your head. And he, then he just asked, what was your childhood like? And that's when it all came out. And um, I mean, the blackouts had already started by then. Um, so it just was the right person at the right time. But I, I look at one therapist I went to for 10 years, almost every two weeks for 10 years. And I'd sit on the couch, talk about the last two weeks. Never once was the question asked, so like, what was your childhood like? And I, I just can't believe I spent that many years doing that. But um, Brad is a uh, absolutely amazing therapist who um, I'm able, I'm allowed to call him relentless. He said it was okay. Um, he, he's absolutely <laughs> relentless with me. Uh, he, you know, he'll say like, you know, are, are you, well, what are you ready for today? And I said, uh, I wouldn't even mind like a, like a kind of fireside chat today. Like just like, like, cause the last couple have been pretty intense. Let's just like give a little bit of a break and let me, let me just kind of relax a bit. He goes, yeah, that's okay. Like, is that what your brother would say? Like you're, fuck okay like here we go like he's not gonna <laughs> let me go like we're, we're going down that road so right. um but he will never he actually he actually went to the place where i was abused uh with me and uh yeah mm. that was pretty tough um the movie blade runner uh the the guy has all these flashing things going on around him um, when I walked into um, where it all happened, it was just like that. It was just this immediate kind of barrage of images and like over there and up there and this what this is what happened there. Like it just hit and um, he stopped me after. He said, do you realize 45 minutes have gone by? He said, I really think you got to get out of here. So um, he, he's he's probably the only person I think that knows everything everything about me i've told them um and like do you do you mean like do you mean the actual the actual space like the the or or do you mean like um you know you guys went there in your mind you know like no, through an exercise the, or do you mean like you physically both went to the actual space the actual space and um wow. how does he how does he know how do you think he knows and that you are that you're ready to go there. Like mm. what goes in, what goes into the, what is the, what's the process of your, of your relate, you know, because we, we, you know, we talk a lot about, about the relationships that people have with their therapists and, you know, how, how do you get the right therapist? How do you know that it's, the, that it's the relationship that fits and it's the, and it, and it makes sense and it's helpful for you. And it's always different for everybody. You know, someone who works for, for one person is going to be the, you know, completely wrong fit for another perhaps. And, how do you think you you get to that place where 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 he knows that you are ready to go to this ob- like very intense yeah. place and and it be helpful rather than destructive helpful. for yeah. example he he has said like he said in, in all honesty he said I'm testing my own you know ability to treat he said i mean he's honestly i haven't had somebody 
like you. Um, and, uh, like, like mine is pretty deeply damaged. Um, and, um, I think he was at a point of trying to figure out, you know, what can I do, what can I do to help him move forward because I was stuck. And, um, I had brought pictures in, um, of, of home and he noticed that I got really almost lost in them and he said the test is going to be to see if this can work without re-traumatizing you like is it going to be better for worse and his feeling was that he wouldn't do it again um, and that it was uh, it was probably just a little too much at that time and mm. I, I cannot go back to that place anymore uh, Just it's just too kind of too much for me Everything happened in one Mike, place. Um, um, <clears throat> you know, this, this, um, talking about how <clears throat> all of this stems from early childhood trauma and, <clears throat> you know, you'd, you'd mentioned how there was a lot of, there was a lot of love and affection that was lacking from your your relationship with your, your folks, um, as a child. And, and now that you're, you're an older adult and you, you have been diving so deep into the, the origins of all of this with your therapist and, and, you know, going back to these places, have you, have I guess the first question is: uh, Are your are your parents still alive? And then the second one would be: If they are, are, do you do you do they play? Have you have you talked to them about this? Is has they have they, you know, have they been have they played a role in in your in your your recovery or 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 your journey towards recovery? No, um, both of my parents are are gone. Um, my mother passed away last year and when I was, when everything was coming through, I, I wanted to talk to her and my sister, um, said that it would be too much for her. Um, so my mother never knew, although I questioned that there's some serious questions about a number of things when I was a kid. And one of the things that um, my Brad has said is, he said, when you were talking about it in the office, he said, I pictured all this distance between the barn and the house and like all these buildings that you talk about. He said, when I'm there, he said, it's, they're right across the yard. He said, how could no one not know? And I said, I remember, like I have these distinct memories of certain things and my dad would be working in the barn. Um, so after something had happened, I typically, when this guy left, finally let me go, I would usually just kind of crawl into a place in the barn and cry for, and just be alone for probably a couple hours. And um, I was coming out of the barn um, one night and I met my dad coming up from the lower barn. There's two, two different barns. And he saw me 
And I realize now, like as an adult, when you see a kid who's been crying for a couple hours, it's pretty obvious. Um, like yeah. their eyes are going to be red. They're all balled up. They don't look too good. So I met him. And um, at that moment, he could have changed everything. And he didn't. Um, he looked at me, um, pat at my head and said, your mother's probably looking for you. And I just look back and go, if he had picked me up at that time and said, what's going on? I would have told him. And I've had some difficult conversations with my sister about how much did people know and not know. And there was, um, I certainly was not the only person in my family that was abused. Um, there are other cousins that were, and people knew it. And the comment was, one of my aunts apologized to me. I said, what are you apologizing for? And she said, well, I just knew something was wrong, but I didn't think it was my place to say anything. Wow, really? I think you got a bit more wow. than a fucking apology for me. Then, like, you, you, this is your brother's son, and you didn't think that it was worth taking that step to say, like, Phil, I think there's something going on with Mike. And I've heard from other relatives that there's been, there were conversations about me that I had went from this kind of chatty, happy kid to really, as they called it, moody and difficult. Mm. Like, to me, that would be a comment to ask a child, you know, is there something going on? Like, what's what's been happening with you? And, like, you know, I don't have a relationship, but I have three godsons who I, you know, love greatly. I can tell when there's something wrong with them now. Like they're, you know, like as a, when they were kids, I knew immediately. Yeah. And like, it was in me to be able to pick them up and, um, and be there for them. So like, I think my parents had rough upbringings as well, but that didn't mean they couldn't be there for me. And, um, you know, I spent a lot of time the last several years trying to find ways to let them off the hook. Um, and now I've kind of got to a place where, no, um, yeah, you're, you're accountable for, for a lot of what happened. You may not have done it, but, like, I don't know, to see a kid and just, well, one, just to not tell your kid you love them. Um, I don't know how hard mm. that is. Um, mm. But that, you know, um, I know in therapy, one of the things <laughs> I give Brad a hard time is like, oh, Christ, like we're going back to the parents again. Because um, like everything seems to revolve back that if they had been able to express themselves and had been able to, to, to show me affection and support and love, would I have been stronger? And when this guy, you know, did what he did maybe the first time, like, what the like get the fuck off of me like get away from me like and yeah. scream and run out of the barn and yell at my parents like what this asshole's doing <clears throat> but I was so guilty about what happened and ashamed of it um, I just let it happen so yeah how old are you? that's an awful question Jeremy uh, <laughs> I'm 59 <laughs> 59 yeah, yeah. I, I, <clears throat> I hope it's okay that I asked this question but I, I you know I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about um, I'm thinking about my father 
and and his upbringing. And I know that there's some childhood abuse that happened within my father's family. He has several brothers, and I've heard stories to the family. And I've, the way I see my father go about things when it when it, when it ties to like his emotions or or you know showing any sense of vulnerability, um, he has a really hard time with that. And and I look at the way that, you know, <clears throat> for example, my brother-in-law or my sister or my friends raise their children today. And, and I feel like there's this, there's this, um, I feel like the times that we live in today are, we're seeing a shift in the way that we view and, and relate to this idea of being vulnerable around other people. I think that my father's and my father's the same almost the same age as you. I think when he was growing up and for a, a really long time even even some of the, a lot of the time that I was growing up that, that you know we had been taught that like vulnerability is the sign of weakness and especially mm-hmm. especially with men you know like for men it's like this it's this huge sign of weakness. I'm wondering how much like out of what you're saying right now, like how how much of that do you think stems from the, what you went through? How much do you think of it stems from like the time that you were, you were raised the time that you like the era that you came from, you know, like, especially with, with the way that you speak about how perhaps your parents knew or had maybe not known, but had some sort of general vague idea that some shit was going on, but, but also, you know, everything get, needs to be swept under the rug. We don't want to, we don't want to like ruffle feathers, you know, just like, you know, the le- the less we see the better or you know, whatever the fuck was going on through everyone's head back then. Do you think that, do you think that you were, do you think that a lot of this comes from like the, uh, just a, you know, I don't know if it's the right way to word it, but like, do you think you were a, a, a product of the time that you came up in? Um, I've, I've spent a lot of time probably believing that and, and justifying what they did because of that. And I no longer agree. Um, I, I think that, you know, I've had a friend say, well, it's just, it was just the time we grew up in. No, it wasn't like not, not every family was like that. And there yeah. were, there yeah. were parents yeah. who, they may not have shown the level of affection that, that we see today, but they certainly protected their children and showed interest in them. But, you know, when I told my mother um, when I was 12 about being tormented at high school, um, and I mentioned this guy's name, and she goes, well, his mother's such a lovely person. What? Like, right. What the fuck's that? Yeah. Like, what? So there was nothing. Yeah. Like it was okay. Like if you're going to be tormented, that that was okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I never, I, I just never. Like I'm now at a point like I, like there's anger there and and healthy anger that, no, you 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 let me down, and uh, I love you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I definitely love you, and, and I know you did things for me, but wow, you you really let me down on that one. And uh, mm. they told me something as well that stuck with me. Um, so of course I had also suppressed that I that I was gay, and uh, when everything was um, 
kind of happening. And I thought, well, what the hell, why not? Just let's, let's do the whole game. So I came out at the same time. <laughs> and uh, um, uh, my mother said, it's really good that you're telling me this now and not when you were a kid because we would have had to send you away. Uh, wow, you would have sent me away. Uh, and I am, I'm pretty confident what would have happened if I had have told them about the abuse. They would have sent me to live at one of my many uncles or aunts' places. Um, they just would not have wanted to deal with it. Um, so... And I, I just want to I want to reiterate. I, I I hope that in saying that that you, Mike, and and anyone listening doesn't think that <clears throat> by saying that I wasn't I wasn't trying to make it sound as though this sort of shit doesn't happen today. You know, like obviously that's that childhood abuse is something that is that that has been going on for fucking eons and continues to go on. Um, I just I I I oftentimes think about you know just the differences in, in the ways that we came up and the differences in the times and, and the way we process and talk about things like mental health and masculinity and, and you know, well, anyway. You raise an interesting point there, Jaron, in, in about, and something that kind of, I know we talk about vulnerability a lot and this kind of just popped into my head, but it's, mm. it's, it's so interesting that we, that, you know, we say things like, hey, it's, it's more, you know, these days it's more common to be, to feel like it's okay to be vulnerable. And when you think about like what that even says, like what that actually means, we're really saying, Hey, it's more okay to be you more often because that's what being vulnerable is. Being vulnerable is, is expressing you. It's how you feel. It's how, what you're thinking, what's on your mind, what you're going through and feeling like you can say that to somebody. Um, and for some, and for some even to think it or to like to consciously mm. think it and deal with it like presently. And Mike, you said something at the very, at the very top of this conversation that um, really struck me because I was, I actually was having a conversation with Dennis, uh, you know, maybe a month ago and we were talking about, I think the context of the conversation had something to do with like really like sticking to, like sticking to trying to be like a professional athlete, like into your, into like your, like your like like mid to late twenties and like really committing to something like that. Um, and we were talking about our experience in sport, but, but, but we basically got to this place where we were talking about how challenging it is to be yourself, um, fully when you're being, when you're committed to, you know, this, this pursuit of, of, of athletics and, um, and how, I, I kind of asked this question to Dennis, like, do you think that one of the, that just the biggest, one of the biggest reasons for, for mental health issues arising in people is just the prolonged, prolonged period of feeling like you are not able to be you or able to figure out you and feeling like you're in an environment where you is not okay. And that, and you know, you said that earlier, Mike, you said that right off the top, like you, you know, you felt like you couldn't, you know, you couldn't be you with your parents because you wasn't okay with your parents and, and how they felt about things. And, and so you had to be this other version that's not, that's not, and maybe it's like an adjacent 
an adjacent version of you, but not, but not all, but not all of you, you know, the, the version of you that you think will be okay with your parents. And, and I just, it, it just, I'm, I'm just on a tangent here about how I think mind blown I am by the idea that we, that we even are sitting here talking about being more, that it's, we're happy that it's, we're being more vulnerable. Like we're literally going, Hey, we're finally, getting to a place where it seems like people are more able to be themselves, which seems so nuts to even think about. I don't know whether I can, what do you uh, go on there, Brian? I I can see I'm, you're on a launch pad here. I I just want to say, I'm glad I thought that was going into a whoop strap ad and I'm glad it didn't. (laughs) But anyway, go ahead. I I just want to say, I like, you want to talk about places where we're not ourselves. Talk about the work environment, right? (laughs) Which is funny because like, that's the, the work that Mike and I do. And, and the fact that, the fact that I get to work with Mike and he's vulnerable and open and honest about who he is and what he's been through and how he's feeling and when he's having bad days and when he's having good days. Ooh. And, and I feel like I can reciprocate that. Mm-hmm. And like the society at large, like work is one of the places where we're the fakest versions of ourselves. Like everybody's society, going man. Like, go to go to LinkedIn. Everybody's just trying to pro- project this picture perfect yeah. image of themselves yeah. and what they're doing to make the world mm. a better place. And and we're we're constantly like breeding this idea that we have to be this perfect person, otherwise we're not valuable members of society. We can't get jobs. We can't contribute. Whatever. So like, and where you're trying reason, to get the trying to get the most because, out of you. Yeah, you can't be real. Like you can't. It's 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 not seen as a, a positive thing to acknowledge your your flaws or at least we we say that it is but then mm. you know do we actually act that way i don't no, think so. i don't think we do and i was going to kind of come back taylor to like i think there's a limit on how vulnerable people can handle things um i've got a pretty heavy load of baggage with me and I've had people turn away from me. I've had people not be able to talk to me again. So are we actually, you know, in a place where we can be completely ourselves? No. Um, I have learned in the last couple of years that there's only so much of, of me that I can share because people don't know how to handle it. And um, mm. I'm a firm believer too that I don't think mental illness is accepted. Um, I think people are incredibly uncomfortable about it. Um, and we all want to have these let's talk days, but yet we don't really want to deal with it. And, uh, to me, mental health is like the great connector because every one of us have either personal issues or have someone close to us with them, but yet it's the great divide that Mm. people do not know how Mm -hmm. to talk to somebody that, that has a, you know, a real challenge with their mental health. And I know for me, like my world has got very small. Um, there, there's very few people that I can completely be myself with. Um, and that wasn't quite what I had expected. And, uh, Mm. so I don't know, like I, I, I would say that it's, we're not at that place yet. Um, well, going and going to, you know, to what Jer said and, about you know being in more of a place like you know raising raising kids is different now you know um, generally and and there is more 
um, you know, kids are being raised more generally to, to be, to feel like sharing and, you know, um, um, you know, bearing your emotions is, 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 is a different, is looked at differently, uh, now. I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, if, you know, when you say, you know, my world has shrunk because of me sharing these things and people that can't deal with it, I mean, I'm, I guess on the, on the positive, on, you know, we can talk about how it sucks that that's where we are and that we're at, we're in a place where we say that we're improving on that. But the positive mm-hmm. of that is, is that we are improving on it. And hopefully that somebody, cause the, the, the thing that's, that's so horrible about this is that, you know, 60 years from now, there will be somebody who's sitting in that, that had a, an experience that is not too dissimilar from yours. And I can only hope that that person is, is saying, is saying the opposite. That's saying my world has grown because people, because I've started to talk about these things and there are so many people because of the way that we're doing things now, doing things in a better way about being open, more vulnerable showing emotions in a more healthy way, that there are more people that can handle that, that when you Ooh. start talking about these things that they don't shy away and they don't, you know, clam up and not, not know how to have that conversation. Ooh. And I, I am grateful for the fact that the fact that the fact I hope is true, that we are headed in that direction where there are more people that can have those conversations. It and, is, and hear it is interesting story. though, like on that, on that note, like, uh, Mike, I saw you, um, we did a, a webinar the other day and, and you were chatting with somebody who attended afterwards and you both got into talking about uh, your struggles with your mental health. And it was interesting to be uh, like a third party to that conversation and hear two people who um, you know are around the same age and have, have, are, are in a business setting and openly talking about mental health and connecting around the struggles um, that they've been through. I, I, I found that really interesting because it was something that brought you together or was a shared experience that, you know, although your experience is very different to theirs, um, was something that, that could bring you together in that moment and in that setting, mm. which you wouldn't typically expect to see that. No, and I, like for me right now, like, <laughs> and how to put this a nice way, like, I don't care. Um, I've spent so many years trying to put out this persona of of somebody different, mm. and I have lived for God fifty years with this inner critic. And the the last, you know, I vividly remember the last um, abuse because his comment to me was, "You're so fat, ugly, and unlovable. No one will ever want you." Um, and those words have stayed with me my entire life. So I have this internal critic that's constantly saying, you're fat, you're ugly, you're in love, like no one's going to want to be around you. And the biggest breakthrough in my therapy um, was with Brad when I suddenly realized that that voice wasn't me, that that voice was a part of me. And there's another part of me that's trying. And, you know, I've tried to commit suicide before and um, uh, luckily I'm not good at it so that part's 
yeah. a blessing, but, um, you know, what, like, I, one thing I wanted to say, like, like, what, what is the end result for me? And it goes back, Taylor, to when I first met you, like, doing handstands. I said, if I could ever do a handstand, I know that I would be completely and utterly cured. Um, and you said, why? I said, because I have so much fucking tension in me. Like, I am just simply not at peace. That to do a handstand, one, I'd have to have the confidence that I could do it. And that would mean that I had relaxed and found peace and not been so tense. Mm. So I'm not likely to do a handstand anytime soon, but like that, that is the outcome for me is that, uh, that there's peace. And, uh, you know, this, this critic, it protected me when I was a kid, uh, to be able to, you know, to escape whatever was, was happening to me, what was being done to me, but it stuck around. And I really wish it would piss off because what it does is try to keep me from living. And it goes through, like Brian sadly experiences like the, the impact of it a lot because just as we're at a point where our business is, is going in the right way, all I hear is it's gonna fail. You're gonna you're gonna fuck it up. You're gonna you're gonna ruin it. Like you're stupid. Mm. Like you're not gonna like I don't have a critic that says, you know, just try harder. You'll do better. I have a critic that says, you're a freaking idiot. Like, you're stupid. You're ugly. You're fat. You're unlovable. And, like, that thing is just there all the time. And it seems like any... When I just get close to actually starting to be able to, to manage that, um, it seems to find a new way. And it just, you know, it takes over. And, and, like, it's hard for me to be present in situations like, you know, I hike and I bike a lot because that is the only break I get. Um, I don't have that mental chatter um, um, putting me down. So, you know, the hikes and the bikes are really, that's that has been a big part of my therapy. And, um, you know, that, that to me is like, just, I look back and go like, how could that all have happened to me? And, um, Man. it just did. And, uh, you know, you try to find a way through, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm at a point, there's times where I just think, fuck you're, I'm just so damaged that there is no repair. Like I, I just try to find some, uh, neutral ground to live on, but there's another part of me that's there now mm. because of therapy with Brad that goes, no, like you, you deserve better. And like, you know, you'll, you'll get there. So, you know, how long will I be in therapy with Brad? I suspect a good, I think there's a good five or seven years ahead of us. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl! 
Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. It's so interesting for me to hear you say this because I I know mm. like we've talked a lot about your your negative self-talk. But um, it's it's almost ironic for me as um, a, a close observer to the situation to see um, what you've been able to accomplish in your life at the same time in spite of, like, I think somebody listening to us talk would hear that each, would, would, would think that each day, surviving each day is a, is a success for you, which I know some days it can, it can certainly feel that way for you, but you've also, you know, you've also accomplished a lot in your life. And, um, I know that you're going to accomplish so much more too, but in what ways has, you know, kind of getting lost in your work been, has it been like a coping mechanism for you? Like, how do you manage to, do the things that, that you do on a daily basis. So if I work more hours, it gives me less time to think about it. And uh, it gives mm. me less time to think about being alone. It gives me less time to ruminate on um, where things are. And, uh, you know, I spent um, probably 30 years of my adult life working 70-some hours a week, just pushing everything I could into business because that kept everything at bay. Everything stayed calm. Uh, I never took a vacation until I was 50, and unfortunately, um, uh, the plane was hit by lightning and uh, almost crashed, actually. So I was thinking, yeah, this is why you don't take vacations. Like, <laughs> What the fuck? Um, you never told I me that. That's, yeah, that's crazy. crazy. It just... <laughs> Well, one thing that was this uh, friend of mine I was with me said it was really funny. He said, "You are the calmest person in a potential plane crash." And I said, "What am I going to do? Like, there's like 40 seconds that's going to be over or not. Like, he's he's either going to get this thing yeah. in the air again, or and he did, uh, the pilot. But um, it, it's that is where everything started um, when I mm. st- stopped working so hard, so many hours. It gave. I think it stopped." It was going to happen anyway at one point because I just couldn't continue. Mm. But um, everything started to unwind. So it's a long, I give long answers. But the long answer to work is a huge distraction for me. Um, I definitely get rewarded for it. Like um, I enjoy the work with people. I enjoy, um, I absolutely love the work that, that we're doing now. So yes, it's a distraction, but it's also it's also rewarding for me. But um I spend a lot can of you, time can you explain? Can you explain to our listeners the work that it is that you do? And, and you know, like Brian, Brian's explained it to Taylor and I, you know, a number of times because Brian is your um, employee. Um, My boss. Uh, <clears throat> um, and you're Brian's boss. And, uh, uh, but can you, like, what is, what, is, what is the work that you are setting out to do? Uh, Brian and Tyler who also work with me, they basically outline what I need to do every week and I just follow their instructions. Um, so, you know. You're a very good assistant, Brian. I am, Keep it up. <laughs> I, I'm really good at it. Um, when when all this happened, um, I lost 
the, the other business I had, um, the depression was really deep and I just lost the capacity to, to run the business. So, um, it was sold to, to our employees and, um, I just, I had to find out whether like, like how, how bad was I? Like how much was wrong with me? So I founded the mindset project, which was looking at entrepreneurs, mental health and decision-making. So the first thing I found out was that, wow, uh, I'm not alone here. <laughs> uh, 67% of entrepreneurs will have some type of mental health issue during their lifetime, during their working period. Mm. So what I wanted to show, and uh, like a lot of psychologists would probably question this, but, but I wanted to show that somebody that had severe mental health issues could still be productive, creative, innovative, could be successful. I wanted to found a business that mm. would actually go. And um, looking back, questionable decision, like trying to work through all these things and, and start a new business at the same time. Right. Um, yeah, questionable thought, but, you know, we're doing it. And the business is focused around a lot of what happened to me was due to also toxic work environment. Um, and, uh, and I just... I wanted to have a better way of working. I wanted to have a better relationship with work myself. And I also wanted to see environments where people could bring their best and feel that they were a part of something bigger. And so amazingly at my age, 59, um, <laughs> we developed a software. Like I didn't think who the hell I thought I'd have a tech company now at this age. Um, but we do, and it actually measures the degree of alignment um, of how people um, experience the work environment and how you can shape it for um, the best contribution, best results. Um, so that's what we're doing now. Yeah. And like, we launched the product in February, <coughs> just before the pandemic. So impeccable timing. Um, like, yeah. couldn't have planned it better. <laughs> and, uh, you know... <laughs> I, I think many days. But actually, that, like even at a time now where it, it seems like it's probably something that is like very much needed, you know, like it needed even more than it already fucking was, you know, in a, in a time where everyone's obvious. mental health is all sorts of fucked up now, you know, and, and, and trying to f navigate, <clears throat> you know, navigate a new way of working or a new way of interacting with, with, you know, your Just employers say it, or your say employees. It. A new normal. A new normal. No, sure. you can't yeah. say it. Yeah. Now more than ever. <laughs> I was working. I was trying to work around it. It was unprecedented, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, so, uh, Jeremy, like, there's, there's your words, your words to prospects' ears, but like, there was a comment made to me by a prospect that had looked, they were going to, they had signed on basically to work with us. And then as the pandemic hit, <laughs> Uh, two months later, they still hadn't done the work, so I'd gone back to them, and they said, like, we just don't feel it's essential right now. Oh really? My God. Like a well, fault? Give, like, wow. give them another six months, and they'll be like, fuck, we fucked up big time. Yeah. Well, the, they, uh, they've invested the, in their you know, branding, yeah. though, so that was essential. They had to get a new logo, <laughs> okay, well, a new brand. Well, there you go. Yeah. There was something, One, one way that, or the other, you know? There was something you said, Mike, that... Um, um, was also echoed by one of the clients that we were working with. Um, you had a meeting with them and, um, they were, 
you were talking about your experience a little bit of some of, some of your challenges with your mental health, and you've been quite outspoken about it, um, even on places like LinkedIn and publicly. And and this person said, "Wow, I I really this was back before we launched in February, but they said, "Wow, I, I really wish you the most success because I think that stories like this will inspire people like my son who are also um, going mm. through." his own mental health struggles to show that they can also be um, contributing members to society and be innovative, creative and, and um, be successful in spite of challenges that, that they face with their mental health and knowing how common it it is for people to have struggles with their mental health, um, especially through doing this podcast. I think that that is one of, the um, one of the most meaningful byproducts to what it is that we get to do together running this business, because um, I think if you can be a role model, like you're being for people who are going through other challenges, whether they're, you know, similar or not, I think that that is incredibly inspiring. And I, and I, I try to, we try not to use that word on this podcast too much because we don't want to be too inspiration porny, but, but, um, I genuinely mean that. And when, 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 uh, that person said that, I, I thought, you know, there's no truer words have been spoken and Whoa. it's one of the huge reasons why, um, I'm so passionate about, about what we do. One of, one of the things that struck me a couple of years ago that I, I never understood, I guess, or was aware of, and it's a friend of mine who's, the head of um, a nonprofit that would take care of people who are on the street, and um, the the people on the street who get the least sympathy or empathy are white adult males. Um, and the feeling very much is when you see a thirty-year-old, forty-year-old, fifty-year-old guy in the street that you know they should get a job. They should find something to do. And she explained to me that 100% of those men who were on the street were abused as kids. Um, and I look back and go, like, regardless of everything, I was lucky enough to, to make it through. And it made me look at these 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 guys in a totally different way because yeah, I would have had that impression that hmm. what are you hanging around there for? Why, why aren't you trying to find your place? Like, and then to find out that every single one of them had probably gone through some form of pretty severe chronic childhood abuse. Hmm. So these guys are all PTSD, CPTSD sufferers. And sadly, we don't see them that way. We don't see them as having an illness. We, we don't see them for, for the people they are and what's been done to them. Um, and that's something that's really affected me that I wish I could do more for. Um, and it's something I'd love to, you know, find a way to help in a, in a more um, real and progressive way. But it's, um, mm. I, I think we're challenged with mental health. We're trying to get there. I think mental health that's related to abuse, I think people are still really, really uncomfortable with that. And long way back to one of your questions, Taylor, is that um, 
I don't care anymore. I'm going to talk about it. And my world may have got smaller, but the people in it are better. Um, so for me, what I found is that when people can know my story and, and be okay, like I don't talk about it all the time. It's not going to be a conversation we have every day, but like, you know, it's there. It's a part of my life. I can't escape it. And um, if, if, I, if I talk about it, it means there's something there. And that's the time the people that are in my life now don't turn away. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty lucky that way that I have a fair number of people in my life that I know that I can talk to. I, I don't reach out very often. Like, I'm used to isolating. I'm used to not talking about this. So to, to break that barrier down, to actually reach out. But as Brian has known, I think I've actually started uh, to reach out. Um, and uh, it's a struggle. And I've also heard this, you know, from people that they didn't want to burden me with something that was going on in their life. I said, you can't break me. Like, you know, if you if you want to talk to me, there's nothing, yeah, like, yeah. my mind works really well. I'm actually pretty smart. So, like, if you're going through yeah. stuff, like, I'm a pretty good person to talk to. Like, it's just this, this feeling, like, if, if you've gone through this, well, you're, you're kind of broken, so you can't handle these things. Mm. Um, no, no, you can. Um, Quite the opposite. Yeah, mm -hmm. very much, because <clears throat> you can relate. And uh, I think the biggest thing people can do is when someone shares that story is to not back away and I know that's tough but yeah. to not back away but let the person talk and asking questions yeah. is, is usually the single best thing you can do um, simple questions yeah. about I don't know how to relate but how do you feel mm. I just want to um, I just want to um, say Mike that I'm, I'm you know sometimes um I find that as, as, as I get older, it becomes, you know, you, you tend to meet, you tend to develop fewer meaningful relationships over, t like, as you, as you get older, they become harder to find. Um, and, um, and I just want to say that, uh, I'm really grateful that, that, you know, when you look at, when you look back at the series of events that lead you to, um, to a relationship. You know, I moved in across the street from Brian when I was 10 years old. I attended a yoga teacher training with Jeremy when I was 20. And, uh, and you know, I did a, I did an article in Duggar's magazine about why guys should do more yoga in whatever 2017. And, uh, and, 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 you know, and that produced a, a relationship with you and, and, um, got I'm me really a job. Got and, and, and then got Brian. <laughs> then got Brian paid. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, and I'm just really grateful that about for those that series of events because uh, because you know we we ended up we ended up you know we started with doing yoga but really it ended up being you know 75 percent conversation and 25 percent yeah. yoga and and we would have these long these long conversations and uh, and we got to know each other really well really quickly and. Um, and, and like Brian's mentioned, um, kind of early on in the, in this conversation that you, you really do, uh, reflect a lot of the, uh, all of the values that we, that we have come to, uh, hold really dear in terms of this show and what we do. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, I'm really grateful for, uh, 
for the fact that uh, that you've come into into our lives and and that we can finally have this conversation on the show. Mm. Thank you. I appreciate the same way. We we are we're we're coming up to time here, and I know that um, well, there are two things that I want to say. I, the first can one I is, ask one thing before you before you go into starting to rapture. Sure. Yeah. Just that's be, classic. Just, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Go just for it. Just because um, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, classic. I, yeah, and <laughs> it's and I, I just think that this <laughs> is important because I've only learned about this since I started doing therapy, but I know that um, talking about things that are traumatic, especially imagining talking about complex PTSD. And going back and reliving those moments, it can be really important to um, do some type of grounding exercise uh, when you come to the end of that conversation. Because I imagine that it's not easy to leave this conversation between the four of us and have to sit with the feelings that you um, mm. went through over the last hour and a bit. So is it's more so a question, and and is it? is there something that you can do or is there something that you do typically at the end of therapy that you don't have to do it? We don't have to record this or it doesn't have to be part of the podcast, but is there something that you will do or can do to process um, the conversation that we had, or is there something that you, you need to do? Oh, you're, you're leading me to such a great light comment to end this very heavy conversation on. Um, so I would, I'll, I'll no doubt go on the bike or, or go for a walk or do something. But okay. in the last two weeks, as you know, I have found a new way to meditate that has been a life changer for me. <laughs> I had no idea that Tina Turner had recorded a series of meditation tapes, um, Buddhist chants, but it's, it's freaking Tina Turner. And she no. is the, like the greatest singer ever on earth. For me, anyway, I've seen her like oh seven times in concert, and I started listening to her meditation tapes. And Brad was killing him. My therapist was killing himself laughing. He said, "Like, how do you find?" It? I said, "I love it." Like I said, it's the first time I've never thought about other shit. Like, as all I'm listening, this is no. Tina Turner. <laughs> and oh Tina Turner. God. Where do you find it? Wait, like, can I? Can I find YouTube. it? It's on YouTube. Or is, or is like, this like? Oh fuck yes! And okay, the, the funniest thing is like. So you're listening to the chant and you're getting into it. And I keep waiting for it. What's love got to do with it? Like there's something going to like you're waiting yeah, for Tina to break out. But like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, is, yeah. That's what I'll do tonight is like if I, I just find it's been oh. the single most relaxing thing I've found <laughs> like in, in all my years of looking for things. And no offense, Taylor, for yoga. But hey, meditating to Tina Turner, you just... There's oh, that's the shit. Do. Well, yeah. you heard it here I'm, first, folks. I'm, I'm all about it. I can't fucking wait for this. I'm, that's what I'm doing the first thing when I wake up tomorrow morning is a Tina Turner meditation. <laughs> Yoho, ringi, maha, I want to say, uh, there's two things I want to say before we wrap up. The first one is, I know that, and Brian, just like, this is for you. Um, I know that you wanted to set this up, Brian. Like, the only reason we that you wanted to set this up is so that you could ask Mike on the air if he would give you a raise in front of... The tens of oh yeah yeah that's right so, uh, so Mike did you, uh, do you want to do that now or <laughs> right okay cool and then uh, and then Mike's I guess you guys can settle that I can't oh, hear. oh that's a funny yeah <laughs> oh, that's that's too bad. Uh, whatever it's a glitch in the system um, <laughs> and then the, the 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 last thing that I want to say is and I and I mean this I mean this from the very bottom of my my fucking gut uh, Mike I think you are incredibly intelligent I think you are um, very witty. And I have always enjoyed your sense of humor. 
I think you're a beautiful human being, and I love you. And thank you so much for taking the time to sit down here today and to chat with us. I love you too, Mike. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. I love pleasure. you too, Mike. I love you one and all. And you better be ready for a fucking hug next time I see you. I, I, I don't give a <laughs> shit about COVID. I'm going to hug the fuck out of you. Well, you did that at that Christmas party, and it really touched me. Like, it's, it's <laughs> funny you mentioned that. Like, it was at that Bionova Christmas party. Yeah, just, I remember. Like, that's yeah. the one that was the best part of the night, because it's just, that doesn't happen often. I did, that's really cool. So, well, anyway, thanks, thank you. This was I really nice. You. Yeah, thank you. Oh fuck that! Um, God, that was great. He's pretty great. That was such a like heartfelt and heavy and beautiful conversation. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I'm just I'm just so grateful for just for like being a part of this, which in turn allows me to have a window into Mike's life and to be able to speak to him and mm-hmm. to know that you guys have such a like close relationship with him is just so beautiful. So, yeah, I, and I'm, I'm just so glad we, we got him on the show because I think that I just think the world of him. So, yeah, it's pretty special. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, that's it. That's all, folks. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We are coming at you every single week, Mondays and Fridays. So if you need that sick boy fix, you know where to find us. Uh, and if you don't know, well, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. And if that's not enough for you, if you are if you are fiending that hard and you want more of us, go on over to Instagram or go over to Twitter and follow us at our handle at Sick Boy Podcast. And if you've got questions or you've got comments that you'd like us to read on the show or if you want to apply to be on the show, head over to sickboypodcast.com slash contact or you can email us direct at letters at sickboypodcast.com and we will read each and every one of them. Shout out to the people who make this show. That would be um, us because it's co-produced by Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, me, Brian Siever, and Lauren Sankey. By the way, our social media is also run by Lauren Sankey. And if uh, Lauren Sankey was a season, she would be summer because that's literally the best season. It's just so warm and fun and you know it's just not depressing like mm. winter right like breast milk wow. okay that's sure that, that, yeah that doesn't make any sense at all yeah uh, but it will make sense later because this has been recorded at a certain date <laughs> and so so that's a that's, that's a callback joke to it but we're, we're to the future this is literally the movie <laughs> looper all right sick boy podcast is also managed by jeff lonis so if you got a problem with that you can uh hit him up because he literally is He's the person who bears the brunt of all of the things that we say here, either Sorry, positive Jeff. or negative. Yeah. Uh, sound design is also done by Donovan the Meerkat Morgan, and uh, the theme music is by Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.